We live in troubling times, political, cultural, and church fighting at every turn. We live in a society that is simply upside wrong, where what was once wrong is right, and what was once right is wrong. Where are the Lord's quality leaders? Where are our modern-day Nehemiahs? Do they exist? We need sound teachers who present accurate facts as they relate to Scripture, who are clear and free from meaningless clichés and relevant to our current events. You know, men and women like Nehemiah, our study, Hand Me My Sword, sets out to present realistic observations to present culture while evaluating how each applies to the eschatological truths contained in the Old and New Testaments. In the book of Nehemiah, the man who led God's people is presented in three roles. Early in the book, he is the cupbearer of the king, a servant. Midway through the story, he is a builder of the wall. In the third part of the book, he is governor of the city and surrounding sections of Jerusalem. He was a true and authentic leader of God. Hand Me My Sword is framed within the emphasis of using one hand to rebuild while keeping the sword of the Spirit in the other. We are praying that this mini-series blesses you beyond measure, so let's get started with our lesson for today. It's an honor to have you join us today for number four in our study of the book of Nehemiah. Today's message is titled, Nehemiah Evaluates. Let's take a look at our overview for today. First of all, leaders make use of their authority's orders. They work diligently and sometimes meticulously to carry out those orders so the overall mission will be accomplished. Then we learn to let our leaders evaluate the crisis. Plus, they need to evaluate our job performance. Then leaders don't reveal their plan until the perfect time. We're going to talk about that in our lesson today and why that is so critical in leadership. Then Nehemiah appeals to Jerusalem's leaders which is the first thing on his list after he starts carrying out his mission plan given to him by God. Then the leader reinforces God's commission 
Many people thought that Nehemiah was sent there under the orders of the king, or there's even a suggestion that he was attempting to accomplish something without the king's blessing. And then finally, a quality leader avoids the voices of mocking. Let's take a look at our scriptures for today. This is out of Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 20. And it says this, Then I came to the governors of the providence beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them, and someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days, and I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except for the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, and the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, Let us rise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Jessam the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. May God bless his word. Let's review Nehemiah's first challenge. One of the primary issues that Nehemiah had to deal with was the staggering wealth inequality. The widespread poverty in the land had forced many to borrow large sums of money from the wealthy. Later, when they could not pay the debt back, they had to pawn off all their possessions one by one to repay their loans. 
The situation had deteriorated to the extent that some of the poverty-stricken populace had already sold their daughters into slavery to pay off their debts. In God's name, what leader would do that? Desperate men of cowardice have done this for centuries, selling their people into slavery. With mounting debt and no source of income, now that their fields and vineyards had been repossessed, many of the Jews had no way of pulling themselves out of the red. With no other resources, many saw no options other than selling themselves as slaves. Nehemiah immediately set out to rectify this. He gathered the nobles and wealthy men and began berating them in front of large crowds. He reminded them of how money was being continuously raised to buy back Jews from slavery. And their actions were likely to force many of their brethren to sell themselves as slaves voluntarily, repetitively. Nehemiah must have thought this erroneous act must stop immediately. Well, as expected, and with all God's leaders, Nehemiah announced that he would forego all money owed to him by the poor and would be returning any property that he had collected from them lieu of a payment. He encouraged the wealthy that had gathered there to do the same. By the power of God, his words were heeded, and those gathered there agreed to return all confiscated property and forego any outstanding debts. This drastic reform allowed many a clean slate and jumpstart the economy for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Additionally, Nehemiah refused to accept payment for the entirety of his tenure as governor of Jerusalem. This was in stark contrast to his predecessors, who had used their power to levy high taxes to support lavish lifestyles. As proof of Nehemiah's proposal, he also hosted more than 150 people daily for meals, paid for them right out of his own pocket. Now let's take a look at the Christ's Life application. Let's say you are doing okay as a leader or follower, but you have the God-given passion for leading or following more effectively. While you've built the foundation of leadership and following, there's nothing wrong with improving your skills to become more effective and become a model of biblical leadership and submission through releasing Christ's ability in you. You might be well on your way to becoming respectful servant unto the Lord. However, you can never be satisfied with the average submission. You can become a model for others in advancing the leadership of Christ in you. When combined and applied through the release of Christ in you, there are many leadership skills and competencies that will help you discover a level of leadership few have embraced. 
Christ can develop in you a style and method that has worked perfectly throughout eternity. And yes, it can become yours. After all, how can you expect God to answer your prayers of rebuilding a home, nation, or church without your part of his doctrinal methods of rebuilding? He won't. God never changes his leadership methods no matter the condition of society, particularly in a culture that cannot be told what to do. In such cases, God turns a society over to itself until the conditions beg for a leader. Well, let's talk about that Christ as life leader. Christ as life leaders tend to have certain traits. Two key areas of personal growth and development are fundamental to biblical leadership success and those that follow such. Christ's confidence and a release of his mind in the leader and those who submit to him. Christ's confident people are usually inspiring and people like to be around individuals who believe in the practicalities of the indwelling life of Jesus and how he can work out his leadership in the leader they serve. Likewise, if you're a Christ as life leader and optimistic in all things work together for the good, you'll find it much easier to motivate people to do the same. Christ's confidence is built by mastering significant skills and situations and by knowing that Christ can add real value by the work he does through you. One of the best ways to improve your confidence is to become aware of all the leadership development he has already invested in you and your followers. Those skills have eternal value. When is your level of understanding of the crisis life modality of leadership? An excellent question. A mindset set on the indwelling mind of Christ is also associated with strong leadership. However, being positive in Christ is much more than presenting a Christ-centered attitude to the work of rebuilding. You need to develop a strong sense of balance and recognize that setbacks and problems are a part of building the work Christ has set before you. It's how you deal with those problems that make a difference. As for followers and workers, it redirects your temptation to insult the leader and replace insults with ideas for improvement. The betrayal of leaders is a common reaction to leaders who are dedicating their lives to lead. Somehow they expect perfection from the leaders they follow. When the leader reveals flaws, the followers dump them at the snap of misjudgment. This results in the leader having to restart their mission repetitively, having to recruit more workers. However, if the leader had workers who remained faithful through thick and thin, the mission can be readjusted and advanced 
despite the challenges. Sad to say, this no longer is the norm in our society today. The concept of dump and go has become our expected behavior from our followers. In our culture, the masses change leaders as often as they change their shoes. Authentic Christ-centered leaders approach this situation realistically, prepared to make the changes necessary to overcome worker betrayal. Most have a plan to replenish forsaken workers. On the other hand, negative leaders often give in to the stress and the pressure of the situation by retiring or giving up on the mission altogether. While many leaders become overwhelmed with discouragement, they tend to forget that their decision to give up embeds fear, worry, distress, anger, and failure in the faithful ones who do follow them. Resting in Christ is the perfect way of getting rid of the negative thoughts, feelings, and temptations to give up or to give up on your leader. Understanding your fleshly thinking patterns and learning to identify and eliminate negative demonic thinking. These two are the keys. You can learn how to do this by focusing your mind on your identity in Christ. Authentic leaders need the indwelling leader, Jesus. Furthermore, their followers need like-minded truth in supporting their leaders. I have been told that the masses are socially mentally challenged regarding relational skills and practical obedience to authority. Relational skills once was a precise understanding of the specific kind of human interaction needed to be productive within leadership. While I agree with this analysis, we see this norm upside wrong in today's culture. Let's review empathy. What is your level of empathy in following a Nehemiah? Well, in all practical terms, empathy is communicating effectively through emotion and practicing listening to the heart of the one who is leading. It helps both the leader and the follower understand the mission and the frustrations of all those working within the proposed plan. Empathy defies betrayal while it works toward a shared understanding of the leader and the mission at hand. If you have the fleshly tendency to cower or betray under such strong leadership, don't volunteer to serve strong leaders. They don't need your kind of following. It not only slows the mission, but it is also in direct violation of Paul's admonishment, found in Romans 13, 1 and 2, which is, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will 
receive condemnation upon themselves. Let's face it, missions delivered from God have always come through leaders God selected to carry out his plans. Not one of them was perfect. In fact, God has this habit of selecting the least among these to advance his success. Suppose any of us expects perfection out of God's sin-affected leaders. In that case, that might be a confession that we don't understand how God matriculates his mission. As Paul later stated to the Roman believers, he says in Romans 15.1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Furthermore, he wrote to the Corinth church, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What a critical verse for us to understand that God literally uses weaknesses to invest His power within us. Let's look at the primary principles in our study. Number one, evaluation. Support your leader's evaluation of your performance. That's a good thing. Two, improve your skills. Leaders and followers should embrace training, discipleship, learning, ways to advance the mission that God has put upon his children. Number three, indwelling confidence. We simply need to release Christ's confidence from within, not muster up our own. Number four, indwelling leadership. Allow Christ to lead from inside out. In conclusion, life-changing leadership is a leadership style where leaders create an inspiring vision of the worker's identity in Christ, their future, motivating their workers to take action, manage implementation successfully, and develop their team to be even more effective in the future. Life-changing followers are the replica of the bridal members of Christ who understand and appropriate the method of obedience that God embedded through Christ, being obedient through you. Jesus in you is always obedient to his plans and mission that his Father has written on the hearts of each true indwelt believer. Our history lesson today, first of all, demonstrates how God accomplishes his mission. He stamps his mission plans on the minds of all who are willing to sustain it. He avoids using those who tend to betray, as our example proves, the Jews, who had so long left Jerusalem desolate, were quite lazy in volunteering to work to rebuild. Such is the case of the condition of our church today. Judah, however, 
woke up through their discouragement and difficulties. This brings out the perseverance which characterized true faith when the work of God is set before them, be it ever poor in appearance. The whole heart is in it after believers know it is God's plan. That's the golden key. Furthermore, when they were awakened through Nehemiah's mission, vision, and purpose, the people readied themselves to work and fight at the same time. It is by faith that followers can submit to Christ within a leader that makes the difference. And this becomes a spring of devotedness Nehemiah types need for rebuilding. Let us remark this profound truth in our obedience, that in times of difficulty, faith does not show itself in the magnificence of the results until it is united with a passion for doing God's work in and through a Christ as life leader. For without this modality, perseverance cannot have its way, and, sad to say, the task will fail. Coming up next in number five, Nehemiah Rebuilds. We're going to talk about new ideas without authoritative backing are dead in the water ideas. We need to carefully cover the passivity is the greatest enemy of a builder. And then we're going to go on to talk about the details of builders must be clear-headed and meticulous and planning. We are excited about the titles that are coming up in our episodes. We have many historical facts that need to be revealed and how they apply to our modern culture. Thanks for joining us today. It's been an exciting lesson, and I hope you join us in our up-and-coming message, Nehemiah Rebuilds. Until next time.